Welcome to The Realities of Race, a show that is dedicated to normalizing discussion around race and racism within our society by amplifying the voices of people of color. I'm your host, Abby Stoa. I am also a Chinese American, and as a Chinese American, have experienced and witnessed what it's like to be a racial minority in the U.S. My hope is that with this podcast, people can use this as a tool to not only learn more about race, but learn how to be a better ally to those of color. Each episode brings a new guest with unique background and a fresh discussion or interview concerning topics in which race plays a role. So if any of this sounds interesting, make sure to stick around. Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Realities of Race. We start off this podcast with a discussion. I was fortunate enough to have Jason, a student at the University of Minnesota, join me for a discussion surrounding what it's like to be a racial minority in the U.S., specifically being Asian. We talk about many things, including how we grew up, the model minority myth, and racism surrounding COVID-19. It was very interesting hearing Jason's perspective on things, and I think you'll think so too. So without further ado, here's episode one of The Realities of Race. I'm joined now by my good friend Jason. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today and being willing to discuss with me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah. um, So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you identify uh, racially, culturally, where you grew up, and what you're up to now? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name's Jason. I use pronouns like he, him, his. I'm currently a senior at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, um, and I identify as an Asian American, and I am Chinese and Vietnamese. And uh, what else did you want me to cover? Uh, just what you're up to now. Uh, so you're a student at the University of Minnesota. What are you studying there? Yeah, so currently I am studying uh, linguistics, and I am on track to become a teacher. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate and being willing to be a part of the first episode. Um, it's, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, I really wanted to use this episode to talk a little bit about our experiences and narratives as minorities in the U.S. I know we both experienced a lot as minorities, and I just wanted to create the space to talk about that and kind of give others an inside scoop about what that's like. Um, so yeah, one topic that I would love to discuss with you is what it's like to grow up in the U.S. as a minority. I think um, during this time, a lot of people are trying to learn about race as a whole and what it's like to be a minority and just kind of giving them that insight, I feel like would be really helpful. So with that, what was it like for you growing up in the U.S. as a minority? Yeah, so I think my personal experience um, is a little different just because I have always, uh, I was born and raised in the suburbs, so I feel like that... um, experience is a little different than someone who might have been, you know, raised in like the urban setting or like a rural setting. Um, But I think um, being a a minority in the U.S. is not an easy task. I feel like it's a lot of navigating kind of this dominant white narrative uh, that kind of that many minorities feel like they need to subscribe to. 
uh, when that never that should never really be the case. Um, and I think specifically being Asian American, there is this kind of idea that you are this perpetual foreigner is kind of what it's called, where no matter where you go, people will look at you and they might think that you're not from here and that um, that you'll never, quote unquote, be truly American when, you know, I personally was born and raised in Minnesota. So, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I can definitely connect with a lot of that. Uh, much like you, I grew up or I'm still growing up, I guess, in a predominantly white suburb, which I feel like has come with a lot of challenges that I feel like still would have been present in an urban setting. But I feel like it's even more amplified now. Uh, that I'm in a suburban setting that's predominantly white. Um, I feel like this has shown kind of throughout my whole life, and I feel like a lot of Asian Americans who grew up in the suburbs can attest to that, where you walk into the classroom and kids want to know if you speak Chinese or, like, what you eat at home, and you're, like, this foreign person that everybody is just, like, staring at, like a creature that's, like, from the unknown. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I feel like that just hurts in so many ways and can be so damaging unfortunately and it's just like those stereotypes that all kids just have to ask about and really have no filter (laughs) um like I'm sure like (laughs) I've been asked all the time like do you speak Chinese and then if I don't or if I don't live up to what they think to what I to what excuse me to what they think I am then I feel like I kind of see this look of like disappointment on their face where they're like, Oh, like you weren't what I was expecting. And it's like, that's the thing I feel like we need to like stop expecting races to be a certain way and just let people be uh, their own individual selves. Um, Yeah. So with that, like, how do you think being Chinese and Vietnamese in the U S has shaped who you are and how you see yourself? Um, that's a really great question. I think um, my personal experience probably doesn't reflect a lot of the other people that I know that also identify as Chinese and Vietnamese, like um, a lot of my family. Um, but because I grew up where I grew up, um, there were never a lot of other like Vietnamese kids or Chinese kids. There were there were a, quite a handful of other Asian students, but none of them really identified the same way as me. Um, and I think that really um, pushed me in a way that like where I never felt like I fit in. Um, And I really felt like I needed to subscribe to like the model minority myth where um, because I was surrounded by so many other white peers that I needed to excel like beyond them and like beyond my own like standards just to fulfill something that like, I didn't really know where it came from. Yeah, definitely. Can you explain a little bit what the model minority myth is for those who are listening and maybe don't know too much about that? Yeah, for sure. So from my understanding, the model minority myth is this myth or like kind of stereotype where Asians are um, seen as like law abiding and super um, intelligent and that. Um, they're able to succeed in society, unlike other minorities. And um, in most contexts where I see the model minority myth, it's to compare 
a lot of Asians to other minorities saying that if Asians can succeed, why can't other minorities do it too? Yeah, definitely. And how do you think for yourself, how do you think the model minority myth has kind of, because I feel like some people with that myth, they're like, I don't understand why that's bad. Like, I don't understand why people thinking that uh, Asian Americans specifically Chinese Americans succeed, like, why is that a bad standard to set people to? What would you say to that? Um, I would say that it's definitely very unfair to say that just because you're a certain ethnicity that you need to succeed or a certain race. Um, I think a lot about, when I think of the model minority myth, I think a lot about um, the big, how Asians have the biggest, like, wealth Um, like gap between like the lowest bracket of income and the highest bracket. Um, It's like the biggest like range um, of all races. And I think how um, this model minority myth really erases how a lot of people struggle. Like even, um, even if they look like they succeed, there are still a lot of other Asian ethnicities who are really struggling like economically um, per se. And yeah, it's just not fair to have this general generalization for a whole race when it's not true. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like on top of that, too, there's just especially I think we can see this most in education with the model minority myth is students and even teachers sometimes, unfortunately, thinking that, you know, because we're Asian or because, you know, we're Chinese or you Chinese and Vietnamese, we're going to like live up to a certain standard or be perfect at math. And I feel like for me personally, I don't know about you, but I feel like it's throughout my whole life. It's like set that pressure of like, Oh gosh, like now I got to be good at this because I got to live up to this person's expectations. And now I got to be good at this to live up to this teacher's expectations. And it's just like, it's so damaging in so many ways. And I don't think even I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I didn't even really realize how damaging it was until I, realized that the model minority myth was a thing. I feel like throughout a lot of my life, I felt pressure to, especially in math, I don't know, something about math just got me. Like I was like, (laughs) I need to succeed and I need to be good at this because that's what people thought I should be. And, um, you know, that's not, that's not my strength and I got to work my butt off in math and it's my hardest class. But I feel like a lot of people think that I get certain grades simply because of my ethnicity. And that's where I think it's really damaging. It's like that completely erases the fact that I'm working extremely hard along with every other student in the class who's getting good grades. And um, yeah, I just think that's really interesting how that's taken shape within our education system. Do you think you kind of felt that too kind of within elementary, middle school and high school of like feeling like you need to be something or a certain way to live up to the expectations. Oh yeah, for sure. I definitely felt that pressure as well. Um, and it's always math. I really feel like that, like the stereotype, wherever it came from, um, really pushes a lot of Asian kids in math. Um, but I think I, I definitely relate to you when you said you were subscribing to this thing before you, like subscribing to this ideology before you even knew what it was. Because um, I definitely felt in middle school um, too when I was lucky enough to be placed in advanced math or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
And I remember like at that moment being like, well, you know, if I'm given this opportunity, I better, you know, like show, show for it. And I think, yeah, that definitely pushed myself into high school too. Um, And I think I definitely noticed a lot of it when um, I started applying for colleges. I think I realized, or like planning for college really, um, I realized like I was pushing myself to do all these like things in different classes, but I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do for college. So I don't, you know, it was like a little bit of reflection of like, why was I doing this? And it's, you know, kind of, I feel like it traces back to like trying to live up to the model minority. Yeah, definitely. I feel like for me, it's almost like, because I, I don't know about you, but I remember experiences in elementary school and even high school. Like, I would get a good grade on something, and I remember I would, like, study really hard for it and just work my butt off, and, and I'd get a good grade. And I remember a kid would say, well, you only got that because you're Asian. Like, no, it's not. It's because I worked really hard. And it's like when you're, like, in third grade and hear that, you're like, oh, maybe that is maybe there is truth to that and then it's like hold up like what how is this being allowed how is this not being addressed in any way shape or form because I feel like the model minority myth is very rarely talked about within the classroom setting and just in our society and like everybody just keeps hush hush and doesn't doesn't really think it's a priority to talk about that and it's definitely mm. very disappointing and just kind of adds to the to the toughness of being a minority, specific, specifically an Asian American um, in the U.S. Yeah, for sure. I definitely can relate to your comments of, you know, of like your classmates being like, oh, you only got that because you're Asian. And you're like, you're only good at math because you're Asian. And it's like, well, no, like I'm still studying just as hard as you. And like, I'm learning the same things as you. So like, it would make sense that we get good grades. Um, Yeah. And it kind of makes me think a lot about like um, the damage that it does to like identities of like how, well, like I... And it kind of leads into like this imposter syndrome, if you've ever heard of that, um, of feeling like this syndrome is kind of this mindset where uh, someone feels like they don't belong somewhere. And it's always in your mind that you don't deserve to be where you are. Um, when in reality, you definitely have worked to be where you are and you are where you are for a reason. Um, and you most likely have the hard work to show for it. Um, and I think you know, kind of these comments play a lot into students feeling like, well, uh, you know, like I don't deserve this grade because of whatever reason, but you know, our, our students are working hard too. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like I just have learned about the imposter syndrome this past year. I don't know where I came across it and I resonate with so much sometimes because I feel like I'm in this leadership position or I get this job or I get this role and I feel like the narratives and stuff that my peers have said have just completely erased the feeling that I like truly deserve to be there. And now I am kind of getting to that point where I'm like, no, I do deserve to be where I am today. But um, I feel like for students who are younger, especially, it can be so damaging at any age, but especially within like elementary and middle school. Um, I remember, you know, me 
getting in some leadership role and people saying, well, you only got that because, you know, you're this, this, this. And it's like, because I'm a minority. And um, it's definitely very toxic. And I think it's something, again, that's not talked about enough. Yeah, so moving on, I guess I wanted to touch on a little bit about racism, not just within the model minority myth, but just, um, you know, this whole past year has been crazy with COVID-19. And I was just wondering kind of your thoughts on racism surrounding COVID-19, if you've experienced any racism due to COVID-19, or if you kind of have that anxiety or fear of that happening. For sure. Uh, I think that um, (laughs) there is still a lot of racism towards the Asian American community. And I think it really showed who was kind of nasty, honestly, like it kind of brought out the worst in people, even in the like smallest of ways, whether, you know, they like, I mean, you shouldn't be shaking hands now anyways, but Um, You know, like at the beginning of it, you could tell like who didn't want to shake your hand and like who didn't want to like give you a hug. And um, some of that was just kind of nasty. And, you know, it kind of came out of the smallest places. Um, I think personally, I I wasn't too anxious myself um, because I feel like I have some tough skin. um, So I would be able to kind of deal with whatever people had to throw at me and really (laughs) come back at them. But uh, I was really worried for my loved ones, like my parents and some of my students who are Asian American and are a bit younger. Um, And I think that, uh, I think a lot about this one story that uh, one of my students told me at that time. Um, So like right at the beginning of COVID, he said um, he was playing, I think it was a soccer game and his team was, um, because the school he goes to has a lot of Asian American students. Um, So his team, you know, was comprised of a lot of Asian American students. And he said that the other team, uh, when they finish playing, you know, it's customary to just shake hands and say, you know, good game. Um, And he said that the other team refused to shake any of their hands because they didn't want to catch COVID or whatever. Um, And I think a lot about that story. Yeah. And how it breaks my heart because it's like it was at the beginning of it. And like these students... Like, I don't know where they learned it. Like, they were, I think they were ninth graders. So, you know, and like, I just felt bad for my student because he didn't need to experience that. He was just playing a soccer game like he's supposed to, um, like he likes to do. So, yeah. Yeah. And not even to, even if they didn't share that, not even to say, like, you know, for just COVID reasons in general, let's not shake hands, like to intentionally point out that they're not going to shake hands because the students they were playing against were Asian. That's, that's insane. And I feel like I've kind of felt that too, not to that extent or that uh, blatant, but I feel like I've kind of felt not so much now, but at the beginning of COVID have was always kind of on edge when I was in public or going out and I'd like pass somebody on a walk and they would like move, you know, over that six foot radius. And it would always be in my mind, are they doing that because they're genuinely concerned for COVID or are they doing that because I'm Asian? And 
I mean, I'll, I'll never know. Um, I'll, I'll just have to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it's kind of crazy how that narrative can just play in your mind and not to get too political, but our president, Donald Trump did not no, help the situation. Not. I'm sorry, but calling it the Chinese virus implicating that a whole race had this virus it, it's just so wrong and i feel like you know because of some of the things he said and did and kind of condoned that was kind of the environment that he created um i guess that's just that's my opinion obviously um but yeah it's definitely yeah for sure and i think a lot of his comments really um bugged me. I mean like who didn't bug but um I I think a lot about um when COVID just hit and all my classes went online um I think about this one discussion post that I had to do for a class and this one comment from this girl who like I forgot what the prompt was but we were talking about COVID and how there was racism yeah, a lot of racism yeah. towards the Asian American community and this one girl goes yeah, I hate how like people are picking on Chinese people like right now because of COVID when, you know, like none of them have like, you know, yeah, none of them specifically yeah. have it. That's a good point. And the part that bugged me about that comment is that racism doesn't care your ethnicity. They just care if you like if you look like the part that they, you know, if you look the part. And yeah. For sure. And I think a lot of other East Asians and Southeast Asians who, you know, have fair skin and black hair, um, I think they received a lot of racism too. And I don't like that one comment from that one discussion post really stuck with me because like clearly this person didn't care that racism doesn't care, you know, like <laughs> their understanding was so shallow and it just boggled my mind. Yeah. Definitely. And I feel like, um, like for me personally, like since people know that I am from China, some people I could tell they were just like taken mm -hmm. back and they didn't really know. I don't want to say like they didn't know how to interact, but it seemed like they were almost like more cautious, but they knew that that's like racist, but they did it anyway. And I remember, um, unfortunately I was, I did encounter some racism because of COVID-19. I was, walking on the trail just around my neighborhood, um, going for a walk. And these two boys passed me on a scooter and a bike and they like wave and smile. So I'm just trying to be nice. I wave and smile and all of a sudden they start yelling racial slurs. And the moment it happened, I didn't even, I couldn't even process it because I was like, did that just happen in my neighborhood like I, I'm literally like five minutes away from my house and these two little middle schoolers just start yelling these things and it's like I'm sorry but at that age you have to learn it from somewhere like that doesn't just come into your mind those words mm -hmm. so it's like it's interesting you know it's like okay like I want I wonder how these boys are being raised right. um, if they know all those words um, some of the words that I didn't even know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, never heard of that one before, but uh, okay. And it's just very, very saddening. And it's even sadder that some people don't even realize that it's happening. Um, I feel like 
you know, some people, they kind of stick their head in the sand and they think, no, that's not happening. That's not happening. It's like, it is, it, it completely is. And mm-hmm. I'll put a, I'll put a link in the description of articles on it and how real it is in our society because, oh my gosh, it is, it is so prevalent. Um, yeah. For sure. And, um, I think that kind of like this racism towards Asian Americans, like in the COVID era, um, just really reflect a lot of like the built-in racism towards Asian Americans that's like in the U.S. Like I think a lot about, you know, Japanese internment camps um, during World War II. And um, I think it's like the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 or something like that, Um, where, you know, like where banning a whole ethnicity from coming into the u.s and that's the only time the u.s has banned immigration from a certain country um and i think you know to the japanese internment camps where none of these people were guilty yet we locked them all up and that was you know fault of the u.s government so yeah yeah and then i think another interesting thing too is how after that happened how mm-hmm. teachers taught that material. Um, like I remember people in my family just genuinely not knowing. They mm-hmm. said that it was a good thing and it was meant to protect them. And then, you know, as my sister and I went through the school system, it was obviously and fortunately taught differently. And we were both just saying like, this is how it went. And I remember my family members being just like, oh, okay. That's how it actually went. Um, so I think it's interesting kind of seeing the crossover of what actually happened and then just how that's For actually sure. taught in the classroom. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for being on here today. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to share a little bit about yourself and your take on everything that is going on in the world. Um, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Yeah, anytime. So before you go, uh, I kind of want to make this a theme throughout my show is that before every guest leaves, uh, you give the audience one specific thing that they can do to be an ally to minorities, your race and our culture in general, uh, anything along those lines. Um, So yeah, how do you think What's one specific thing that you think people can do to be a better ally to minorities? I think that's a very great question, especially uh, given the times. I think the best way that I've been an ally to other minorities, as well as like people being allies to me in some spaces, is um, them taking the time to educate themselves, whether that's Um, reading some books from Asian American authors or um, watching documentaries about the Asian American experience, uh, whatever it may be. I think when other people have a better understanding of where I'm coming from, it just feels a thousand times better. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent agree with that. Uh, Well, yeah. Thank you so much again for joining me. It was a pleasure. Uh, Good luck with the, your last year at the U of M uh, and getting into the master's program. Jason is hoping to be a secondary ed uh, <laughs> teacher in ELL. So Jason, best of luck with that. I'm sure you'll do great. Uh, and thank you so much for joining me. 
Awesome. Thank you again, Abby. And that concludes episode one of The Realities of Race. A big thanks to Jason for being willing to be a guest. Enjoyed me so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. And a big thanks to you for listening. Um, and if you enjoyed this conversation, uh, I think you'll enjoy my next conversation with Sophia Kaur, an inner city Baltimore uh, middle school teacher. Well, I will ask her everything related to race and education. So that'll be more of an interview style, uh, but it should be just as interesting. Thank you so much for listening. Keep rocking it like you probably are. And uh, I'll see you next time.